Well, good morning. Y'all doing all right? Get enough coffee? I know it's kind of hard. It's like cloudy and cold and wet, and it's kind of like, I just want to stay in my bed. So thank you for uh, being here. Man, it's so good to see you. Hopefully you're ready for Christmas, right? Um, I don't want anybody losing their salvation on Woodruff Road this week. We don't need that for anybody. Um, you don't need to say any naughty words, all right? We want Santa to come. But uh, it's good to see you guys. As Brandon said, we are on our third week of this Why Christmas series. And uh, so excited about just kind of bringing it in and New, Year, or New Year's Christmas Eve on Friday. Man, it's going to be awesome having three services. I'm so thankful for that. As I said last week, not doing it last year here because of COVID. And then we had everything on our downtown campus. And then our family had COVID. So we couldn't participate. And so, man, I'm like stoked about it. It's such a great opportunity to reach our community. And we'll have a lot of guests. And so make sure you go online, do that. And then also pick up one of those invite cards. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew this morning. So go ahead. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And I wanted to throw this out there as we start this morning for us to kind of really kind of prime the pump of our brains and our hearts. But did you know that our fears can hinder our obedience? Think about that statement. Our fears can hinder our obedience. In a lot of different ways, if you think about it, uh, we all have different fears. I wouldn't say that we're not afraid of anything, but there's different aspects of all of our lives that our fears can get in the way of obedience. Maybe it's a fear of what po- people might think. If I make that decision, what are people going to think or say? Uh, maybe it's a fear of commitment, that you just don't go there, you don't have to commit. Maybe it's a fear of failure. You figured, I don't know if I'm going to be good at that, and I'm probably going to fail, so I, just, I don't need to step um, that way. Maybe it's a fear of just like the unknown, of just the uncertainty of, I don't really know what that entails down the road, so I'm just not going to take that step. I kind of like the comfort zone. And if you think about that statement, it really applies in our relationship with God. That our fears can hinder our obedience to God. And so when God asks us to do something or to to go somewhere or to take a next step, our fear in that can hinder us from obeying the word of God. So maybe that's a fear of, I don't want to take that next step because I'm not really sure what that looks like or there's some uncertainty or you start thinking about the what ifs. For instance, I don't know if I should be uh, in a small group. Uh, Just uh, I don't know kind of the fear of what people might think or I just don't like to open up and be honest with people and they might judge me and so your fear is hindering you from biblical community or maybe it's giving you have a fear of giving just i don't know if i should give i got bills to pay and if i start giving then i just don't know what's going to happen down the road it's hindering your walk with god and your obedience in god maybe it's a fear of just commitment i'm not ready to commit become a member of the church or whatever i mean you can fill in the blank with a lot of different things and it, it really is so true that our fears can hinder our, our, our obedience in that. But I'm so thankful because when it comes to the Christmas story, if you think about it, it could be marked by fear and disobedience. That when you look at Mary and the, uh, Gabriel comes and says, hey, Mary, I know you're a teenager. I know you're engaged to Joseph, but surprise, you're pregnant. And uh, not only are you pregnant, but uh, another surprise is that The child inside of you is the savior of the world. No pressure. Don't mess this up, Mary. You know, out of fear, 
Her fear could have hindered obedience, and she could have said, no, nah, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. Okay, this isn't going to be go time. That's just too weird for me. But what we, what we saw last week is that she simply just said, out of obedience and faith, hey, let it be as you have said. I'm your servant, so I step into that. And what we're going to see this morning is, is Joseph's side of the story. And really, once again, is marked by obedience and not by fear. And so uh, I love that because in this Christmas story, it could be one of, hey, you know, Mary and Joseph, angel came, and they're like, no, nah, we ain't doing this. It's too scary. It's too, too many uncertains and unknowns. I'm not doing that. But it's not marked by that. It's actually marked by their obedience and their faith. Now, this next statement um, sounds really simplistic, and that's because it is. And you're probably going to think, you came up with this all by yourself? I'm like, yeah, okay, you don't need a seminary degree, all right? But think about this. Being faithful to God takes faith. I mean, that's very simple. But think about that statement for a second. Being faithful to God takes faith. We don't understand everything there is to know about God. Um, For those of you who have kids, you probably know this. My kids are great at this. They ask me questions that I really do not know the answer to. And we'll be sitting at the dinner table. This happened a few weeks ago. And one of the kids, I don't remember, asked, okay, if God made everything, then who made God? Does anybody want to come up here and answer that for me? Okay. Um, I mean, now I have a master's in theological studies when I was in seminary. And that's a hard question to answer because it takes faith. It takes some, hey, I don't really know all the answers. I mean, God has just always been there, and he's sovereign, and he's in control, and so I don't, I don't really know about that. And I love my kids, another follow-up question from that. They asked, well, why did God make everything and make man and, and Eve? You know, like, was he bored? <laughs> and I'm like, no, well, God wasn't bored. And so then you have to kind of wrestle through that. But there are certain aspects of the Christian faith that are just that. They take faith. We don't know everything, and I don't know about you, and I say this all the time, I'm thankful that there are things that I don't have the answers to, because if I knew all the answers, that would make me God, and I'm thankful that I'm not God and that He is God. And so if I can explain everything, if I know the answers to everything, that means that God isn't who He says He is. And so there are things that just take faith a lot of the ways, and in our lives as Christians, as we're walking through this relationship with God as followers of him, for us to be faithful, it takes faith. It takes us stepping into the unknown, stepping into the what-ifs, to the uncertainties and saying, hey, I don't really know, but I'm just going to step into obedience. And that is what makes the Christmas story so incredible. So let's check out uh, Joseph's side of things in this. We looked at Mary last week, but uh, in Matthew Uh, chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. And if you look before, I'm not even going to try to tackle it because I would totally butcher it. But the very first part of Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, is the genealogy of Jesus. And there's a couple different reasons Matthew puts that in there. Uh, One is just to frustrate you to try to, uh, you to explain and um, articulate their names. But no, it really is to paint a picture of Jesus's humanity to show that, hey, he's got family and he comes from a line, and to really show that line of David being one that is, um, hey, this is going to come. It is royalty, even though they're coming from nobodies. 
This is what was prophesied uh, hundreds and thousands of years prior. So he's laying some groundwork of all, both of those things to show that uh, the prophecy has been fulfilled, to show that he, uh, Jesus is human, he's coming, he has relatives and even crazy uncles, okay? And so we see in verse uh, 18, Matthew picks up in this, and this is what he says. Read this with me. It's also on the screens. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way, and when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now let's pause before we kind of read the rest of this. I got into this last week, but to really understand the stepping into faith and obedience and what they're going through, we have to understand really the human mindset of Joseph and Mary. Now we looked at kind of Mary last week, but think about this. Mary, teenage girl, engaged to Joseph. Now you have to understand engagement during this time was totally different than engagement right now. And I gave a shout out first service. I'm going to do this again. We had two couples from Five Force get engaged over the over uh, uh, the weekend. So one is Brady and Madison. Woo! Give it up, right? Got engaged. All right. Got engaged. The other is uh, Elizabeth and Blaine. Blaine's on our production team in the back. They got engaged. Yeah. And so I love that. Um, but, uh, and I'm, this, I'm not saying this as, uh, don't take this the wrong way about your engagement, but at, so at the time, engagement, culturally speaking, it was appropriate. Engagement was like being married. And so it was legally binding. It wasn't like, you know, engagement now where if it gets really weird, you can call it off and take all the presents back. Okay. It, it, don't do that. Okay. I'm not prophesying that. Okay. My spiritual gift is not prophecy, but, uh, but we see that of the day when Mary and Joseph were engaged legally, they were like husband and wife. And this period of engagement was usually around a year. And after a year, they would consummate the marriage, move into each, uh, to each other's homes or whatever. And that's when it all started. And what would happen is during that period of engagement as husband and wife, this legally binding contract, is if something happened, they would legally have to get a divorce. Now, Culturally, if it came out that Mary committed adultery, more than likely she would be stoned to death. At the very least, she would have a scarlet letter, be an outcast, looked down upon and shamed and guilted and all of those things uh, because of her actions. So think about this. If this was in 2021, and or not even then, I mean, think about the ramifications then. But Mary gets uh, is visited by this uh, angel, says, hey, Mary, surprise, you're pregnant. You're carrying the Son of God. No pressure. Don't mess this up, Mom, okay? You got this. And she goes to Joseph, and she's like, hey, um, Joey, hey, sweetie pie, I got some news. Okay, I know we're in the middle of this engagement thing, but it's really exciting. Can you imagine? She's like trying to butter it up. It's really exciting news. You're going to be so ecstatic. If I was Mary, I would give like the worst news possible first and be like, ah, just joking, I'm pregnant. Okay? Like, do you ever try that? Like with your, your parents? Like when you're, you know, it's like, hey, mom, dad, I'm sorry. I wrecked my car. I got in a really bad accident. I totaled it. What? Oh, just kidding. I got a D in class. And they're like, oh, okay, no big deal. I'm like, yes. You know, don't try that, okay? But Mary, I mean, think about this. You, you, he, she comes to Joseph and is like, Joseph, listen, I have some news to share. I'm pregnant. Now think about Joseph and his perspective. Now Mary's 
already kind of wrestled with this. She's already asked the angel, how's this going to be? She's already said, okay, whatever you say, God, I'm doing. Joseph is not there yet. And so Mary shows up and it's like, hey, Joseph, got some news. I'm pregnant. All right. So immediately, I'm just, this is a guy's perspective, okay, immediately saying, okay, who's the dad? Who is he? Like, what's going on here? What did you do? We're engaged. Like, I love you. Like, why would you do that? So I can imagine her saying, hey, but, but think about this. It's, 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 it's okay. It's okay. There's no one there. There's no one there. It's by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? Joseph's like, okay, one of two things. You're either lying to me or you crazy. All <laughs> right? You are cray. Because I don't understand. You're going to say the Holy Spirit. Okay. All right. Yeah, it was God. All right. Okay. You're going to pull that card. But think about that. So Joseph's like, what in the world? And so because of his love for her, what we're about to see is he's in this dilemma of what do I do? This the humanity of it all. What, what am I supposed to do in this moment? And so he decides that he is going to divorce her quietly. And that's what we see in this. We don't know exactly what his state of mind is. But what we do know is he's ready, ready to bail ship. Because in verse 19 it says this. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, now I, I can imagine, I don't know if this is like the night before, he's about to kind of say, I'm about to divorce her. One, we see that he loves her. He loves Mary. He doesn't want her to be ridiculed. He doesn't want her to be stoned to death and have some scarlet letter or whatever. I mean, he wants to do this where it says he's unwilling to put her to shame. He loves her. But he knows, he, hey, she's committed adultery. We have to resolve in this divorce. And we're going to do it quietly. But as he considered these things, so he's pondering these things. And I can only imagine if he's in this, if I put myself in his shoes, man, he's probably stressing over this decision. I don't know if it's the night before, a couple days before, whatever, but I can imagine. He's, he's in his bed thinking, man, everything's going so good. This is the love of my life. Like, what, what's next? What are these plans? I mean, there's a lot of, of fear in this. I don't know what's next. Man, this is like, I had to pop the question. And guys, you know that's a big deal. And we're in this engagement. And what am I going to say to my parents and her parents and all this other stuff? What am I going to do? So he's considering these things. And I think he's doing it at night because then this angel appears uh, to him in a dream. Saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so there's affirmation there. It, it is from God, buddy. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So this is the prophet Isaiah who said this approximately 700 years prior. Um, this is in Isaiah 7. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive um, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means, what does it say? Say that with me. God with us. It means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
Man, I love this. We see once again a story marked not by fear, but of faith and obedience. So let's kind of pull out some practical things that we need to consider in this. The first one being, when it comes to us saying yes to God, walking by faith in this, consider the divine disruption in this moment. I'm going to tell you, if I was Joseph, it better be God telling me something like that, you know? But God just comes and totally disrupts his plans. And I don't know about you, I'm a planner. You ask my wife, Sloan, I love having a plan. Most of the time, I'm a planner. Uh, Not too long ago, we remodeled our kitchen. And if you've ever done that, um, don't do it, all right? Just sell your house, just sell a house, sell your house, get a kitchen of your dreams, okay? At another house, just do it for the sake of your marriage and everything else. But anyway, I'm a planner and I'm also a cheapskate and really frugal and I'm handy. And so I got to do stuff by myself and kind of do it because I like to save money. And someone's like, just hire somebody. And I'm like, no, I'm saving some money here. And so what that ends up happening is I become obsessed with the plan. And so I can't deviate from the plan, but I got to have all my ducks in a row before we start that plan. And so what does that look like when you're renovating the kitchen? What that looks like is you can't sleep at night. Your mind is racing about things. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm waking up, and I'm, like, drawing on graph paper. Do you own graph paper? Didn't think so. That's, I'm a nerd, okay? So I'm, like, drawing. You're like, yeah, you are. So I'm, like, drawing on graph paper. I remember one day I was, like, doing me- I was, uh, taking measurements with a tape measure at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. And my wife, you know how tape measures can be loud, like, when you press the button, it's like, you know? Um, Sloan's like, what was that from upstairs? I'm like, oh, nothing, honey. I know it's four in the morning. I'm just taking measurements. <laughs> no big deal. Um, but I'm a planner. I love, I love plans. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you're not quite like a freak like that. <laughs> but you, you like to plan. You like to have your things in order, all that kind of stuff. And, and so, but here's the thing, is that we have plans, but we have to be willing as followers of Jesus for God to totally disrupt those plans. Because when he disrupts those plans, and he will, because there's your plans and then there's God's plans. When he disrupts your plans, you have to, you either say, okay, God, that's fine, or you say no, and you disobey. And so there's these divine disruptions, and we see this in Joseph's life. He could have very easily said, no, I ain't doing that. I'm going through with this. I'm divorcing, divorce, divorcing her, and I'm not messing with all the drama. We're just going to kind of quietly do this, you know, kind of sweep it under the rug. I don't want her to be humiliated, but this is what's going to happen. And he could have easily said that. But God, in his divine uh, righteousness, in this, gets Joseph's attention, disrupts his plans and says, hey, buddy, he shakes him. Says, hey, this is from God. And the child that Mary has is the son of God. It's from the Holy Spirit. So wake up. And I don't know about you, like when God gets my attention, man, sometimes he needs to shake me and say, hey, wake up, Dustin. It's not all about you. It's all about your plans. It doesn't always work out that easy. I mean, even this morning, I woke up. I was running a little bit late. My car died. I couldn't get it started. It was the battery. I'm like, oh, great. So I had to get Sloan's car. That's after I brewed a cup of coffee on my Keurig, and I forgot to put a coffee mug underneath it. Okay? I don't know if you've ever done that. Okay? Yeah, it's not fun. Um, and so I was late. I couldn't get it. So then I had to go to Food Lion over here, get some creamer for the coffee, because I like, I'm a girl. Okay? I like flavored creamer. And so I had to get that, get into my car at Food Lion, 
didn't start, okay? Uh, Blaine saved the day, jumpstart my truck, you know, it's over here, and uh, now I have a battery, okay? Got a new battery. So uh, it's just, those things happen in our life, and we can get frustrated, and we can get mad and say, that's not how it's supposed to be, God. Or we can say, okay, I don't understand it all, but I'm going to, this divine disruption is right here, and I'm going to step into obedience. That's why this statement is so true. Get this. How we respond to the divine disruptions of God reveal our relationship with Christ. When God disrupts your life, how, how your relationship with Christ is going, it's going to be revealed. It's going to show a lot about how you're walking with God or not walking with God. When he comes and says, Dustin, you thought it was going to be this way? I'm going to show you this. It reveals a lot about my heart and where I'm at with God. Because I can either say, if I'm close with God, be like, all right, it is what it is. All right, God, that's what you're telling me to do. That's the step of faith you're telling me to take. That's kind of stepping into the unknown that I'm not really sure about, that I'm scared. Or you can say, God, it's right here in front of me. I know you're telling me to do this. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to disobey. I think I know what's better. I'm going to step over here. So those disruptions reveal a lot. And we see in Joseph, man, we don't know a lot about Joseph. There's not a lot written in Scripture. There's more written about Mary about th- than there is Joseph, Jesus' um, earthly father. But if I had to guess in this, there's something about him that says, okay, I don't understand it. And, man, guys are stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. And all the girls are like, yeah, all right. Women are like, amen. And it takes God showing up in a dream through an angel to get his attention to say, this divine disruption, you need to walk in obedience. You've got to do this. And some of y'all know my adop- our adoption story with our boys. Like Sloan was totally gun ho It took God waking me up in the middle of the night in tears saying, you're being selfish, Dustin, with this. You need to step into adoption. And so it takes those kind of things, and we either have to obey or disobey. And so we're faced with those decisions, and so it reveals a lot about where are we at with God? Where are we at? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to walk in us as we make those decisions? Now, Joseph allowed God to change his circumstances, to change all that, and to set his direction. Hey, this is a new trajectory for your life. It wasn't what he signed up for. He didn't know it was going to play out like this, but he said, you know what? I'm going to step into obedience this way. The second thing that we need to consider is in this story, consider the saving power of the incarnation. Now, the incarnation, that's a big word, essentially meaning that God sent his son to be born here on earth, take human form. So he was fully God, fully man. If you want to get really seminary-esque and improve all, uh, or impress all of your friends, you can say it's the hypostatic union of the nature of God. Put that in your back pocket, all right? Put that on Facebook and look, look uh, like you're really intelligent, okay? Um, but think about it. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus in this moment really is the beauty of the Christmas story. Now, we can sometimes focus on the shepherds and following the star and the wise men and their gifts, and that's awesome, And we can even say, hey, there's a lot of obedience from Mary and Joseph. And those are all very important pieces of the Christmas story. But at the end of the day, take the wise men out, the shepherds out. You have the birth of Jesus, fully God and fully man. And he had to be born 
fully man and, and take on human flesh from a virgin named Mary in order to live a sinless life of no sin to take on the sin of you and me. Without that, it wouldn't be possible. And so the incarnation of God, uh, um, Jesus became, becoming fully man on this earth while being fully God. I know it's really confusing. It's one of those faith things. And if you want to really talk about it, let's go to coffee. We can talk about it a little bit deeper. It's kind of hard to explain. But in this moment is the beauty of the saving power of Jesus. We see the angel tells Joseph, hey, it's from the Holy Spirit, but you're going to bear a son. This is verse 21. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. With no birth of Jesus, that's not possible. We're just all a bunch of sinners and quite frankly damned to go to hell. But because God's love and his mercy and his grace sent Jesus as a baby into a nobody family in a nobody town to the lowest of lows, they thought it was going to be some great king of royalty, of riches, maybe popularity, But then he comes as this infant. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says this, It's the miracle of miracles that the infinite should become an infant. And it's so true about the story of Christmas. That he comes as this infant. And in this is this this great power of salvation. Without him, there is no salvation. Without this story, there is no redemption and forgiveness of our sins because by his birth and through his life and ministry eventually leads to the cross where his blood was shed and we're about to uh, kind of celebrate and worship through that with communion but without that there is no Christmas there is no redemption there is no salvation and so we have to understand that beauty and that it be it's, it's, it's central to the Christian faith that Jesus had to be sinless in order to take on our sin take human form in order to take our place on the cross. So the incarnation of Christ made, uh, made salvation possible for us. And then third, we see this. Consider the example of faithful obedience. I mean, we've seen this in Mary. Now we see it in Joseph. Man, what an example of faithful obedience. Now, parents in the room, I don't know if you would agree with me in this. I hate when my kids disobey me. All right, can I get an amen? All right. I hate when my kids disobey me. They're not perfect. I know you probably don't deal with that because your kids are perfect and my kids are pastor's kids and you know how that goes, all right? But think about this. When my, when my kids obey me and their mother, our relationship is so much better. Would you agree with me, parents? When, when my kids obey me, when I ask them to do something and they do it and I don't have to repeat myself and they're like, ah, you know, and they actually do it, our relationship is a lot healthier, I'm not frustrated at you. I'm not stressed because you didn't do what I say or anything like that. Man, our, hey, I asked you to do that. You did it. Great. Let's do this. It's healthy. Because you know when your kids don't listen to you, man, it's stressful. Like especially if you come home from work and they're all running all crazy and you're like, hey, go pick up this or go do that or go brush your teeth. And it's like why does the same routine every night turn into a hassle, you know? And it's like you, we do this every night. Why are y'all fighting, you know, type thing. When they obey, it's like, oh, wow, they actually did it. It's healthier. Now, kids in the room, all right, I'm going to give you a chance to agree with me. When you obey your parents, don't you think that your relationship with your parents is better? 
Yes, it is. I say all the kids are like, mm-hmm, okay. When you obey, your, your relationship with your parents is better. Now think about this. Turn that to our relationship with God. When we obey God, our relationship with God is better. It's healthier. When we listen to what he's asking us to do, it is healthier. I'm telling you, when I meet people who are not walking with God, whether they agree with me or not, that they're obeying or disobeying, but they are blatantly disobeying God, they, they're miserable, miserable people. They seem like they're just in kind of a deep hole over here, could care less about life. And for us, as we're walking with God, if we want a healthy relationship with God, we need to obey God. Now, bear with me on this analogy, but when you think about this from God's perspective, not that he's like, hey, if you obey me, I'm going to love you type thing, and it's kind of conditional, but really kind of in a sense that when he asks us to do things, he wants his children to obey us, to obey him to do things that are walking with him. And so when we see that, man, it, it deepens our intimacy with God. And so as a closing thought, obeying the plans of God deepens our intimacy with God himself. It makes our relationship with God so much more healthier when we are obeying God. Not to be legalistic about it, but when we're walking with him, when he disrupts our plans, when he comes and says, hey, I need you to do this. I want you to step this way. We step into that, and we have this attitude of this faithful um, example of Joseph. We saw Mary last week, and we're like, hey, let it be. Whatever you say, God, I'm going to step into that. It's a lot healthier than us fighting God and walking in disobedience in that. In John chapter 14, Jesus answered, he says this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He will obey. And my Father will love him. And he will come to him and make a home with him. Intimacy. That when we, if we love God, we obey what he says. And out of that, God loves us, comes to us, and makes a home with us. I mean, that's intimacy. That's God with us. It's the whole premise of as we draw close to God, he draws close to us. And so this intimacy is rooted in this obedience, in this moment that it's, it's not saying yes to our plan. It's putting our yes on the table to God's plan and saying, hey, whatever you want, God, this is what it looks like. And what I love and what I'm so thankful for that even Jesus, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, in his life, while he just walked in obedience with God in the final hours of his life. You know what he did? Man, he, he didn't want to die. He asked God. He said, God, he begged in that garden. He said, take this cup from me if it's your will. He said, if it's not, then let, let it be. And it's this beautiful picture of, hey, I, this is what I want. But if you want this, God, I just want to be obedient. I've been obedient my entire ministry and my life to you. And so I'm going to step into this. And so through this, we, we come to Jesus' final days, and he's with his disciples. They're celebrating the feast of the Passover, which was celebrated, you remember, uh, right before the Exodus, when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. We come to this moment where Jesus, in his obedience to God, steps into this, and they celebrate, and he institutes the first communion that we're going to partake in. Hopefully, you received a communion cup. If not, we'll have some for you available. But we get to this moment in Luke that's recorded 
when Jesus, it says this, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Think about that statement. I can't wait to do this with you because I'm about to suffer. And then he says, for I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment, fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among you, among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as we are about to partake in communion together, hopefully you got a cup. There's a little wafer that represents the body that was broken for you and the juice, the blood that was shed for you. To be thankful that Jesus stepped into obedience with God so that we can be obedient to God. And no matter where you're at in your walk with God this morning, I want this to be a special moment. I want this, you don't need to take it right now. You can wait, you can pray um, right where you're at to reflect on where your heart, Scripture says for us to evaluate where our heart is. Where is your obedience with God today? And I would say, don't take that juice in that cup until you are ready to say, hey, I fully surrender. And I want to step in obedience and follow God like this, like Mary did, like Joseph did. I want to obey him. Whatever he has planned, I want to step into that because of the saving power of Jesus. And so I'm going to pray. The band's going to lead us in a closing song. And you take that however you feel led. If you want to take it right there, if you want to pray, and once you do that, you can stand and we'll close and worship together. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful that your plans are so much greater than ours. But so often, we're afraid of those plans. So we step out of obedience and into disobedience, thinking that we know better, that we're smarter. We know what we want greater than you. And Father, I pray that one, we realize today, maybe for the first time for many of us, that's a lie. You, you are greater. Your plan is better. You are the creator of all things. And you know what's best for us. You know what you want us to walk through, to encounter, how our faith needs to be increased, and how we need to rely and become dependent on you. And so, Father, in this moment, by the marking of just taking communion, Father, I pray that this is a moment where we kind of realign our hearts and our actions to say, we want to live for you, God. We don't want fear to drive us and hinder our obedience. We want to step into obedience with you and ultimately have a healthy relationship with you, God. So we take this little wafer and this juice, doing this in remembrance of your son coming that morning that night as a, a child changing the face of history, changing our life so that we can have salvation in you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So take that as you are led and then you can stand and we'll close and worship together.